Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to Killer Jeans Stripped Down, where we talk about everything true crime and then some. You'll hear about the cases that are close to us and go behind the scenes of true crime reporting. We'll also talk about case updates and breaking news, as well as speak with some of our friends and colleagues in the world of true crime. Now, we're going to be sharing things we've never been able to talk about because certainly inappropriate to post online. But this is the platform that we can finally share it. What really happens when gathering true crime stories. So let's get to it. Welcome to our final episode of Killer Jeans for 2021 on this episode of Strip Down. Now, we have Carrie Kasem, famed advocate for elder abuse. She has helped pass legislation nationwide, and she's also a radio and television host, just like her dad, the late, great Casey Kasem. Thank you for joining us, Carrie. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, guys. I love what you both do. And, you know, Melissa and I have been friends forever, and I've just I am so amazed at what you both have put together. It's fascinating. Oh, thanks. Yeah, long time. Yeah, thank-, thank you so much. Well, you know, Carrie, Bitter Blood, Kasem versus Kasem, has been such a huge hit and success around the world. What, what was your inspiration to finally tell your side of the story? We didn't get a trial. That's literally what it was. And when I realized I wasn't going to get a trial, which was not my choice in any way, um, we had worked on this seven years, you know, putting together a case. Uh, my stepmother, who, for people that don't know what happened, my stepmother uh, kept my brother, my sister, and all of my father's friends and loved ones away from him in what was to be his last year of life. And when I went to call the police, they couldn't help. I called Adult Protective Services. They couldn't help. I went to court and realized that in this country, Uh, Once you turn 18, you have no rights to see your parents, especially when they're with an uncooperative caretaker that won't let you in a residential home or an assisted living. Different laws for the hospital, different uh, different laws for nursing homes. But I realized, oh my gosh, I may not see my dad again if I don't win this court case. And I was told by my first two lawyers, I probably wouldn't win. In fact, they said, you'll never win. I fired them and got a, a lawyer that believed in my case. And, um, we went forward there and I thought, well, if I'm not going to win in court, I am going to change the law. And I did both. I won my court case and I changed the law and I wanted to, you know, at this point I was doing case and cares and, and, um, getting hundreds of emails and social media, uh, um, DMs saying, please help me. I don't have a famous last name. I, I I can't see my mom. I can't see my dad. I don't have any money for an attorney. And that's when I thought, well, I'm not just going to change the law in California. I'm going to do it uh, in all 50 states. And that's what I've been doing. We put a case together for you know, seven years against my stepmother. And unfortunately, um, without my consent, the case was settled. So I thought, well, This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me and to anybody else looking for my case to set case precedence so that they could go into a court and say, look, this is what happened to the case and family. This is the outcome. 
you know, this is what needs to happen with my family. That didn't happen. So I thought, let's do a podcast and let's put everybody on that didn't get a chance to speak at the trial. I'm talking doctors, nurses, caretakers, friends, loved ones, family members, because I have been telling this story for eight years. I wanted it to come from people who were there, who were behind the scenes, who the media never got a chance to hear from. And that was, for me, very cathartic. I needed people to understand what really went on and why I fought so hard. Because unfortunately, the media, some of the media, made it like it was about money. And there was never an ask for money, ever. And I think a lot of people don't realize, because I've known you for so long, that it was it, a small portion of the fight was about, you know, uh, what's right within the family. But it was over the overall always the overall picture. And it was just like that precedent setting, you know, this is wrong. Something needs to be done. And how many people can literally say, you know, they've helped create a law, which is over, you know, now in over, gosh, a dozen states in this country. And I remember watching you just get up at five o'clock in the morning and head to this state, then head to that state. And, you know, Kelly, it was so impressive. I've seen video where she's getting like a heroic applause when she walks into some of these buildings, you know, legislators and, and, you know, residents going through this so happy that this bill has touched their lives because it's just that little clause that can make such a difference for other everyday people going through this. You know, what was that like for you to become what many people call kind of the Aaron Brockovich of elder abuse? It was amazing. You know, that was probably one of the proudest days of my life when I walk in and I'm with my team, my case and care team. I'm with um, Kelly Rooney, Mickey Rooney, who went through this. I'm with the Campbells, Glenn Campbell, their their father, and they were with me. And uh, Kathy Braun, who's my right-hand man, her father went through it with the same disease my dad had um, Louis body dementia and it was just it was you know I couldn't do it without my team I could not have done we did 12 states but I'll tell you nine other states adopted a version of the case and care visitation bill so we've got 21 states and um, I just I can't tell you that it's been my proudest um, I think moment that was but it it, it the proudest I've been about who I am and what I do is in the last seven years of helping people. And not only do I help people with case and cares and the visitation bill, but I also do disaster relief, you know, and I've been doing that for 10 years. The happiest, I think that I am, the moments I have, some of the happiest moments in my life have just been helping people. And I never, I, I, you know, for a long time, my life was me, 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 me. And, and I think when you're younger, it's kind of like that. And then you realize, wow, helping people is what it's all about. And my dad would always say that. My dad would always say the most important thing you can do is be kind and help people. And that's what he did. Not only people, but animals. He was a, you know, a vegan when people had no idea what the word was. You know, they called him a vegan. You know, I was, I became a vegan at 12 years old, you know, I'm 49 now. And, uh, it's just, uh, I, I, it's just amazing. You know, you don't think your parents are right and you always fight against them when you're younger and then you grow up and you go, wow, dad was right about most everything. So, you know, he was, he was my hero and, um, somebody that I talked to every day of my life until, you know, I got cut off and I found 
a light in me, a fire in me I never thought I had when I had the most precious thing taken away from me. And that's one of my parents. I thought there's no way I would, I was willing to lose everything, everything, all my money, my house, everything. And that's how you have to go into a fight, willing to lose it all because that is the most important thing to you. And you have to look at, I think, everything in life that way. If you want to be where you want to be in life, if you want to be the best at what you do, if you want to get something that people say can never happen, you know, if you can make that happen, you have to be willing to put every ounce of your being into it. And when I was told I'd never win a lawsuit over a wife of 34 years, something kicked in. And I don't know what it was, but it was like, watch me. And I did it. It took me eight months and it, I did it mostly by myself with my lawyer who believed in my case. But, you know, the rest of my family was in fear. They backed down and I said, okay, get out of my way. And I fired the other two lawyers. They said, let's do this. And eight months later, I won a case that was an impossible case. Well, you have to really defy the norm. And you have this great quote that you live by and you've done, you know, massive speeches like on 10X. What is that? Uh, Do the opposite of what fear tells you to do. And when you live by that, then you can really do anything, even the impossible. So I do that. I do the opposite of what fear tells you to do. And, you know, fear was like, wow, I'm going to lose my career. I might lose my house. Um, But losing my dad was not an option at all. So I just, I just forged ahead knowing I could lose it all, but knowing that I could, uh, I would regret for the rest of my life if I didn't fight with every ounce of my being to see my dad again. Those are amazing words to live by daily, not just in the face of adversity. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I have a question, though. You know, you know, when you think of elder abuse, right, you know, you think of the videos you see that are posted on social media of, you know, the nursing home employee, uh, you know, assaulting the, the patient or, you know, the resident. But what were some of the more shocking things that, that you think that people don't understand when it comes to elder abuse and how many different layers it really has? Well, it's, you know, one out of 10 uh, abuse cases are even reported. So it's really an epidemic in this country. Uh, But what an abuser does, no matter if it's elder abuse, child abuse, domestic violence, is they isolate the individual. And that's what we find mostly when you you see guardianship abuse, when somebody becomes somebody's guardian, and, and that's in the case of Britney Spears. You know, you isolate them. You take away their voice, their inability to talk. Um, and so that is what, what we see. The first step to abuse is isolation. And if you can really head that off at the pass, immediately see the flags, which are, oh, mom or dad can't come to the phone. Oh, they're too tired. Mom or dad are not getting your messages. You can't take them out of the house anymore. You know, they start, the, the perpetrator starts vilifying the loved one. Those are all massive red flags. And what I've learned is people don't understand the mind of a sociopath and a sociopath will do whatever they can to take, I mean, take this person out. I am, I've never seen anything like it. They will, they will do anything to take the money, the house, the, um, anything they possibly can to drain this person and, and vilify every single person trying to help them. And what, what is, is crazy is people think that they're going to change. They do not change. They will manipulate you. They will cry. 
they will they will um, tell you anything you want to hear as long as they continue to isolate and and take from from this person. And I've seen it with um, second or third husbands or wives. I've seen it with a first husband or first wife. I've seen it with children doing this where the other children can't see mom or dad. I've seen people with power of attorneys. I've seen just straight guardians who've never met the family do this. And this is happening constantly and everywhere. There is there is a film called The Guardian. I suggest people watch it because you think this can't happen to your family. It can happen to anyone. I'm talking celebrities, to judges, to um, it can happen to other attorneys. It can happen to just family members. This happens all over. Somebody will come in and steal your loved one, place them in a subpar facility, and then take everything that they have worked their entire lives for. And these are sometimes people that have never met mom or dad, and they have been taken. And now try and fight fight that, it's almost impossible. Well, it so, takes a lot of money to fight. Yeah. That's what people don't realize. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, Kasem yeah. Cares has spent hundreds of thousands and, and, you know, your partner, her own money to help some people. And that's what's frustrating for me is is uh, the amount of money that it costs and the circles that you have to go in. And a lot of the perpetrators are people that uh, it's tough to go up against, like um, a, yeah. a, a conservator or a judge in you know, for people that don't know, Carrie and I were doing a documentary together um, before Bitter Blood. And then all of a sudden, you know, we would I would be traveling the country with her. And that's when I started to see you do, you know, what I've done my entire career with killers, which is ambushes <laughs> and, and going yeah. after these people that are so difficult to get a response from. And they're so their their title is so high. It's difficult to think that they could be the perpetrator. Yeah. I mean, you and I went after somebody who was the chief of police. You know, we don't need to say where, but he was the chief of police and he was doing this to his own mother with his brother and kept all the siblings, uh, I think it was four or five other siblings away, isolated mom. Mom is still alive. Mom is still six years later, still alive, was isolated for three years with no visitors. Uh, no, well, let me say this. No, vi- no other family members were allowed to see mom, even though when she was pr- first put in a nursing home, the two daughters went and saw their mom every single day brought her food, looked after her. They, the, you know, in even the other residents that got no visitors, they would visit with them. And then, you know, the two brothers wanted to steal the home, sell everything that was owned and keep the money. And that's exactly what they did. So what would they have to do? They had to isolate mom. They told the sisters they could no longer see mom anymore. They made up lies. And this is the one thing that I don't understand that, uh, in the, a court of law, hearsay is not admissible. Yet, yet, when you see these um, probate matters, these family matters, and you see guardians appointed by judges, when they say something, even if it's just hearsay, the judges will listen and will likely just believe them instead of saying, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? All these family members are bad people. Where's the evidence that this person is, is a drug addict and violent? Where's the evidence? There's, you never hear that. Never. So they just believe them. And it's like, wait a second. Hold on. This, when, when you vilify everyone in the family, who's the perpetrator? The perpetrator is the one making all the loved ones the bad people. That's the perpetrator. That's who you look at. And you don't see that very often in a court of law where they, they ask for, for, um, 
you know, just evident. And it's sad because now mom or dad is stuck in a facility alone. And when you stick somebody, especially with memory issues, um, in a place that they don't recognize with no loved ones, they die 50% faster than people who have loved ones surrounding them in, um, in a surrounding that they're familiar with. So you're basically giving them a death sentence. And it's horrible. I, this one woman that's lasted six years has been, she's, she's lasted because her daughters have promised to get her out of there and promised that this would change. And I, I hope to God she holds on because we've been fighting this one for a long time. What do you think your father would say with all your efforts? Oh, I know he'd be very proud of me. He was, he, he was my biggest cheerleader and he was so proud of me when I, when I started my career and, um, and just, just who I am. And he would tell me that, you know, and I, I grew a lot and I'm glad he saw, you know, a lot of my success before he passed. And I feel like I really took after him. And he said something to a caretaker who passed it on to me and it really, it made me cry. He said that, you know, I was out of all of the kids, I was going to be, I was going to be okay. I was a lot like him. And there is nothing, and of course, my, my sister and, and brother are, are totally fine, and they have careers on their own, and they make their own money like I do. And, but when he said that, that I was most like him, it, it just made me cry because that was something I strived for. I looked up to him. I wanted to be a lot like him. And, and uh, that was probably one of the best compliments from my dad I ever got. And there's also some unfinished business. It's not resolved, you know, in any way. His body is still in Norway. Yeah. Um, is there a plan? And I know it's a long process. People don't understand the tears that you have to fight with the sector of elder abuse. It is the most difficult, I think, uh, genre of crime to really go after. But um, when it comes to his body being in an unmarked grave all the way in Norway, um, what is the plan? Is that something you will always uh, strive to do is to bring him back where he wanted to be? You know, I, I will bring him back and it's not even him because he believes in reincarnation. He was a very, very spiritual man. And so he believed we are, you know, um, spiritual beings having a human experience, right? So when you, when you leave this earth, you don't drag your body along with you when you, you know, in most religions believe you go somewhere after you die, like heaven or hell or, Wherever it may be, you know, I think I, I don't know a religion that doesn't believe that you don't carry on. So um, when when he passed away, I do believe that I do believe that he was with me, you know, and was with me for a very long time. And uh, he would not believe that he was stuck there in a coffin in his body. So that's the one solace I've had with this. Uh, but. But he did want, you know, to be buried in a place where people could come by and leave flowers or, you know, uh, grieve. They, you know, he knows he, he knows that people do want to have a resting place that they can assume they're visiting the loved one. Right. So that's where he wanted, you know, his resting place to be was in Forest Lawn. Um and it, you know, I, I, I will, I will bring him back. I, I will definitely do that. And when I say him, I will bring his body back to, um, to California, where you know his last request was. 
And so um, it might take some time, but that's definitely the, that would be, I guess, the final end of this entire chapter. And I can move on with that. Yeah, I was just going to say, it. when does closure come for you? Yeah, that would be it. That would be it. So, you know, just transitioning a little bit into just the entire world of going after predators, um, you know, elder abuse to murderers and sexual predators. This is uh, a world that you never thought you would be in. You were a radio and television host for many years, you know, just like your father. And, and this has brought you into a new platform. You have a new voice, you know, that you a lot of people are paying attention. What are some of the, you know, advocacies that you are fighting for? And when it comes to just the entire world, world of of true crime you've it's become something of one with you you this is something that you know you've become a detective you've become an investigator helping others and it goes beyond elder abuse what is it about you know justice that just is a cause for you you know it's it's weird when i i hear of any unjust action that has been taken against somebody i want to fight I, it's just, I don't know. I never knew I had this in me, but I want to fight for them. I want to go after those people like you, you know, like both of you who, who deal with criminals, who deal with murderers, who deal with people that are the worst of the worst, right? Um, you want to go and get justice or you want the story to be told. You want, you want justice, but you also, I've seen people that will just look at one side of things and that's the way it is. You got to look at both and you have to make a decision. Are they telling the truth? Are they not? You know, but a lot of times, because I can see a cookie cutter predator, I'll know exactly. And, you know, I've been fooled before with people who are the predators coming and wanting help. And now I know, okay, just either questions you can ask, there's ways you can look at, at a case and you go, okay, who's telling the truth? Boom, that person is. And it took me years to figure it out. But you, you know, I just, I have a fire in me and I want to fight. And, and that's, I, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing, but it's, you know, sometimes it scares people because I'll go straight up to somebody and I've had umbrellas put in my face. I've had like a book put in my face. I've had doors slammed on me like both of you, you know, and when you're trying to get, get, get to what's, what's going on. And, but I, I don't know. I live for the thrill of it. I love it. And I like to, um, I like to expose criminals. It makes me happy. I guess you could say. <laughs> Carrie, what's your advice if, if somebody is experiencing something similar to what you've gone through? What is your advice on the next steps that they should take? First, you've got to realize you're not dealing. If somebody's being isolated, somebody's being abused, you're most likely dealing with a sociopath and they're not going to change. Do not in any way have sympathy for these people who are hurting the, the loved one. Uh, because they truly have no sympathy for the loved one or for you or for anything in life. And I've, and, and people, if they don't understand that, they will keep thinking that something's going to change or that crying or that begging or that, um, you know, they're doing something to appease the person. They don't care. They don't care about you. So know that you're dealing with a sociopath. That's the first thing. Uh, really uh, understand the red flags. And that's what I gave before, you know, the isolation flag. Um, and, and immediately, um, get your loved one on tape if they have the capacity saying, if anybody in my care keeps me away from my loved ones, you name the loved ones 
uh, they should be removed from my care immediately. But but hold up a newspaper, get that date right there because I've seen people use video and they're like, well, we don't know when the date was. We don't know when this happened. This could be manipulated. And so just use use a newspaper and get as many people in the room as you can when you get when mom or dad makes the video. Tape those people. If you can get an attorney in there, tape that. And this is what you know, mom or dad wishes. Uh, so that's, that's very important. That's something that I say every single person should do, especially if you think there's contention in the family with, with siblings, with, uh, wives or husbands, uh, with, um, an outside person, maybe somebody that has a power of attorney. Uh, you must, must make the wishes of your loved one known, have it on camera and be holding a newspaper. That's very, very important. Are you stressed out, wound up, or just plain worn out? Well, if you're looking for some help with that, CBDX just might have you covered. You've heard of regular CBD, right? I mean, who hasn't? Well, CBDX has just kicked things up a notch with their line of products that include Delta 8 THC. Now, it's a federally legal form of THC that you will absolutely feel and take it from me because I use it. So if you live in a state where cannabis is not legal, CBDX might be perfect for you. I'll testify on that. You will feel it. I've tried the gummies and I think there's so many therapeutic things about CBD and X really kicks it up a notch, you know, and you can get it from vape cartridges, gummies and concentrates. And because it's shipped right to your house, there's no need for those sketchy little handoffs or dealing with a dispensary. Now, I will have to tell you, though, that CBDX products will show up as THC on a drug test and never drive or operate heavy machinery when using CBDX products. Because like I said, unlike typical CBD products, you will feel CBDX. If you want to try it, go to CBDX.com. That's four letters, CBDX. Use the code KILLER for a 20% off discount and a free gift. There you go. So, Carrie, we're wrapping up the 2021 year. What are some of your year highs, whether personal or professional? I would have to say... um there were two things, bitter blood, Kasem versus Kasem. Um, my podcast that you and I worked on with an amazing uh, executive producer, Aliza Rosen. And that really was very cathartic for me and getting out everybody's voice and their story about what really happened to my father. That was a huge, huge endeavor. And it, it really brought me some peace. And then the next thing would be going uh, out to Haiti. Many people didn't know that there was another huge earthquake in Haiti that happened uh, during COVID uh, this last summer, August. I think, gosh, I hope it was, I think it was August or September um, that they had this earthquake. And I just, I said, I want to go help. I got on a plane uh, with my disaster relief group. And there was only two Americans there. The rest were Haitians. And we went out there and just helped. And it was... It was just, it was a sad thing, but unbelievably rewarding that we could bring food and bring help. And, and so I'd have to say those two things were, um, were the biggest highlights of 2021 for this genre. There were other amazing things that happened in my life, but those are the two things I'm most proud of. You're constantly on a plane going to, um, you know, 
natural disaster zones, which is so admirable. People will say, oh, I'll help, I'll go with you, but how many people actually hop on a plane and actually go and sleep in a tent, sleep in a, you know, a car, and actually live off of what are those, what do you live off of when you're there? Candy bars? <laughs> rice and um, I'm veggie, so it's hard for me. I brought, I, I literally bring my own food. I bring tons of bars and food, nuts and stuff that I can just live on if there's nothing I can eat. Yeah. You're like moving debris and living off of uh, apples, you know, you're so tiny. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, it's incredible what you do. And, you know, it's something, it's very admirable to watch. Oh, thanks. I mean, I've seen you like the past 20 years, literally get to get, uh, to tell a story or to get a shot. I mean, one time I remember you coming home and you had all your fireman gear on because you were out covering the California fires and you had literally been on fire. You were burned. And you come in, you smell like smoke, and then you're like, look, look, I was getting the shot. I was, I was, I, I think I got too close to the fire. And we look, and you burned a quarter size of your hair off the front. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, <I do. laughs> yeah. gone. It was uh, literally to the scalp. Your hair was gone. It was so bad, Kelly, that the CBS anchor woman had to address it to the viewers to be saying like Melissa McCarty was, you know, at her, you know, it, because there was a bald spot and I was wearing a headband for many days. And so it had to be actually addressed on air. But, um, but I, I, we lived together for many years. So I would come in and the entire house would smell like a campfire. And it was me just walking in the door from the end of my long, long day. <laughs> yeah, I made her get undressed in the garage. Remember she that? was like, like Go in the garage. Yeah, take your yeah. clothes off before you come in the house. I'm like, outside? <laughs> <laughs> um, Kelly, what are your, and I would hope that you would say killer jeans, but what, what's some of your highs for the year? <laughs> Yeah, you know, definitely on the killer genes front, I'm I'm really proud of what we did with the DeAndre Lane case and the episodes that we did on his case and exposing what, what I feel is the injustice of of a man that should not be in prison for the rest of his life without the possibility of parole. So, you know, it's a case that I've I've followed for many years and became very close to and digging into and and became close with a lot of the people. And I just I really hope this next year brings brings some changes for DeAndre in that case and hopefully Bianca's found. And then, you know, another case that I've grown very close to over the years is was the murder of Faith Hedgepath. And this year saw uh, finally an arrest in that due to a DNA match uh, that was found. So hopefully 2022 we'll see that trial you know, and hopefully we'll get some answers uh, and some justice for faith. Um, and then, you know, my side gig is working for CrimeCon and Crime HQ, you know, which I absolutely love doing, um, you know, being able to interview experts and, and victims and, and being able to, to work on that platform for cases. So, Melissa, what have been some of your highlights? Well, a lot of people don't know, Kelly, you are the wizard behind some of the huge cases we see played out on national television, you know, um, and it's it's uh, incredible that I'm working with you. So I think this new audio platform, I think it's the future and I think it allows us to soar and tell stories our way. I mean, I grew up as the network girl and I was, you know, I was restricted and I had to look a certain way and be a certain way and tell a story a certain way. And there were so many, you know, hands in the pot for being on television or national television where to have the freedom to tell a story how I want to tell it is which we've discovered with killer jeans and podcasting that's to me opened um, a new 
adore. It's just the creativity, and I'm excited for that in all of the cases that we're getting access to. And I'm just proud of the people that choose us, you know, to say, hey, I'll tell you my story. I'll speak for the first time ever, not Dr. Phil, not Dr. Oz. I choose you because I trust you, and I know that you'll help me. And that is what gets me going every day. And Kelly and I are working on stories that obviously we think are going to change their lives. We think that we're going to have an impact. And just to have that person say, you can do it. That's what I live for. You know, I just go into another world when I tell a story. And I think that brings me, brings me peace. You know, there's not everything that we can solve in this world. There are so many problems. It's day by day, but just to know that you're doing your part one little bit for one family, one person, you know, it just, you want to have an impact. And I think that's, that's the high for me is having platforms to make an impact. And people don't understand universally how important human connection is and how important it is to relate through tragedy. I mean, I saw it firsthand with the Casey Kasem story is, you know, how, how much it affected everybody, everybody of all ages, you know, and everyone knows the story. And so it's just the power of sharing and being vulnerable. And as tough as Carrie is for her to be so vulnerable over the years, it, it is, it is the epitome of, of being human and, and being able to connect people through triumphs and obstacles. And that's, I think what life is all about. And before we wrap up the final episode of the year of 2021, um, looking forward, any news you want to break? Any exciting I, you know, announcements? <laughs> Some exciting stuff is happening and I can't wait um, for it to happen. I just can't, we can't say exactly what it is, but look for, look for me, look for Melissa, look for all of us in 2022 with something big and that's where I can leave it. And then when we can announce it, we will. Carrie, if people want to follow you and your efforts with elder abuse or, or come for information or send you information, where can they go? Um, go to Kasem Cares, and that's K-A-S-E-M, KasemCares.org. You can find me there. You can see, the, you know, the states we have the bills in um, and uh, the videos of everything we've done the last eight years. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Follow Killer Jeans on Facebook and on Instagram. It's at Killer Jeans, the podcast. Also, be sure to like and subscribe to Killer Jeans on Podcast One, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Killer Jeans listeners. You know what makes for a great gift any time of the year and for anyone? It's Killer Jeans branded merchandise. We've got what you need to show off your Killer Jeans. Everybody has Killer Jeans, so why not flaunt yours? You can do it with hoodies, socks, mugs, hats, and even wine glasses with our killer logo. So for you or that true crime lover in your life, visit our collection today at shop.podcastone.com. Hi, I'm Caitlin Van Maul, host of I Survived. If you enjoy I Survived, we are excited to announce a new launch. Starting November 15th, we'll be reposting our classic episodes from season one of I Survived. We hope to reach a whole new audience with these important stories of survival. And for those of you who have been with us since the beginning, we think these powerful episodes warrant another listen. Starting November 15th, look out for those episodes and more news from I Survived. 